Let's turn in our Bibles. I'm in both the last book of the New Testament and the first book of the New Testament. So we're going to start in Revelation and we're going to end up in Matthew for our reading. Revelation chapter 7 and then Matthew chapter 6. Revelation chapter 7, then Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to stand as we read the word together. Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse number 9. And through the end of this chapter, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, And unto the Lamb, and all the angels stood round about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be unto our God forever and ever, Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, And serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes." Beautiful passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse number 19. From Matthew chapter 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, what happens next? That's where your heart is, isn't it? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father in heaven, we commit this time of the preaching of your word to you. We pray that it may be profitable to the hearers and that it will be honorable and glorifying to you. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The story is told of a little girl who was blind from birth. But they found a surgeon who offered hope. And he performed the surgery And for the set amount of days that the bandages had to be on her eyes, as those days came and finally went, 
They removed the bandages from her eyes there in the doctor's office. And she's like, wow, I can see. This is wonderful. Then she runs to the window and looks out the window and sees the earth. And all the beauty of the earth out there. And she's just so excited about seeing something finally in her life. And she turns to her mother and she says, Mom, why didn't you tell me it was so beautiful? And her mom, as she's wiping tears from her eyes, is saying, Honey, I tried. I tried to describe it. But there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And I wonder if when we get to heaven and we see the glories of heaven, and as we've sung about this morning, the half has never yet been told. I don't know what all that entails. It, it, it's going to be beyond our fondest dream, our fondest imagination. But we're, we may have opportunity to sit down with writers like John that we read from in the book of Revelation today and say, John... Why didn't you tell us about this being so beautiful? And I think John will be saying, well, look, I tried. I tried. With divine inspiration, I put it there in the book of Revelation. It was in my gospel. It was there for you to read. But I, when the eye sees, we begin to fully comprehend what the glories of heaven are going to be truly like. Friend, we got to get there. Just to see that. But of course, best of all, Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. We, we read much about heaven in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, as we've read today. We read how in Revelation chapter 11, the, the seventh angel uh, sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, much less to be able to visualize it and to see it. But I would ask the question this morning, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Is it worth investing in? Is heaven worth investing in? I believe it is, absolutely. And what heaven is like? We'll find out truly someday, but in the last two chapters of Revelation, John says that heaven is like a tabernacle, heaven is like a city, and heaven is like a garden. I'd like to just think about those for a few moments here this morning, how heaven is like a tabernacle, heaven is like a city, and heaven is like a garden. Heaven is like a tabernacle. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, the description is there of heaven being like a tabernacle. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a place of fellowship with God in a way that uh, man in this New Testament era, this age of grace that we are now in, that really we we knew nothing about. You and I knew nothing about that. We can read of it. We can try to grasp and comprehend what it must have been like in the Old Testament 
era and the layout of the tabernacle and all that the priest had to perform and the people had to purchase and be faithful in coming so that the sacrifice could be made and forgiveness could be granted. You remember in the, in the Old Testament tabernacle, the, the veil that was there between the, the holy place and the holy of holies, the place that the high priest would only enter once a year to offer that special sacrifice and all the holiness of it and the solemnity of it and really the danger of it that was involved in all of that. If it wasn't just perfectly made as, as God had ordered it to be. But John the Revelator in the Revelation account here says that there shall be no more sea. There shall be no more sea. The sea is a symbol of separation. The sea is a symbol of separation. There will be nothing in heaven to separate one from God. As we gain that imagery of when the temple veil was there in the, in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple between the holy place and the holy of holies, how when Jesus died, that veil was rent in twain. It was torn in two. And now there was access. There was direct access to the throne of grace. The wall of separation disappeared. And one of the glories of heaven is going to be that the wall of separation, no more sea, is going to disappear. The sea is like sin. In heaven will be forever separated from sin. From all of the temptations of sin. From all of the impurity and the unholiness, the worldliness, from all that is unlike God, when we get to heaven, we're going to be on the other side of the sea, forever separated from that which separated us from God, from that which stood between us and God. Thank Jesus for the provision that we can be redeemed by His blood and have that access to God and have that relationship with God here and now. But when we get to heaven, no longer will we need to, to face the realities of the tempter and the tempter's snare and all that this world has had to offer of the struggles of life that we have faced. When we get to heaven, that separation will be gone. We shall see Him face to face. And the beauties we shall behold will be something that we never could begin to grasp here. Oh, it'll be a reality. John also referred to the tabernacle experience of of the Christian in heaven in an earlier part of his book. Here in chapter 7 that we have read from, he pictures the Christians of all races Uh, standing in God's presence, dressed in white robes of purity and waving palms. Victory has, has always been noted by the waving of palms. The excitement of Palm Sunday, the victorious entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And no wonder we celebrate it today because one day in our 
vision, as we look to the beauties and the glories of heaven, that scene of those dressed in white robes, waving those palms of victory before the eternal God, we'll get to join that number. Oh, what an exciting thing. Forever victorious. Never to have to face the tempter again. The Christian will enjoy heavenly fellowship with God without the distressing pressure of grief. No more sorrow. No more darkness. No more of the things that bog us down and drag us down and lead to discouragement and times of depression. It'll be forever gone. And the Apostle John pictures heaven as a place where God is served. Forever and forever. He is served in his temple. He's served there. He pictures heaven as a place where there's no hunger, no thirst, and where God is wiping away every tear from our eyes. We anticipate that day. The blinders are still on. The bandages are still on our eyes, so to speak. There's much we just really can't see yet. All the glories and the beauties of heaven. But one of these days, amen, there will be no more sea. And we shall see S-E-E as never before. Praise God. There was a preacher that was finishing his sermon on heaven. And uh, he was a, he, as he finished, he was approached by a fellow that was in his 90s. But he was blind. And... His words to the preacher were, Brother, I want to see you. I want to see you. You I want to talk to you for a little bit. But he's like, I want to see you. Well, he ran his fingers over the preacher's face. And then with tears that were streaming out of his sightless sockets, he said, When I open my eyes for the first time, you know who I'll be looking at, preacher. And the preacher said, yes, you'll be looking at Jesus. Wouldn't that be something? The first vision is looking at Jesus. I often think of that when we sing some of the songs that we sing that we know were written by the blind. And the vision, the glorious vision of seeing Jesus, the first sight that they see will be Jesus himself. Oh, my And so then with a cry of joy, the blind man said, Brother, it's worth being blind for 90 years to know that when I open my eyes for the first time, it will be Jesus that I see. Oh my, what a wonderful thing. Heaven is like a tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. And oh, the fellowship and the worship of that place. There will be no more sea. Not only that, but heaven is like a walled city. Heaven's like a walled city. In the Old Testament times, the the walled city was the city of protection. That wall served as amazing protection for them. And uh, while it was not uh, flawless in, in that there were times walled cities were conquered, it was certainly by the power of God, we know, wasn't it? When they marched all those days uh, around the city and alas, the, the walls fell when they were obedient as God had told them to do. But in the times of trouble, 
Everyone possible would flee to the confines of a walled city to get into that place where hopefully they would be safe. And I just want to remind us this morning that heaven is a place of perfect safety. It's a place of absolute perfection. You talk about a place that, that is, is perfect protection. It is, it is heaven indeed. Can you imagine being in that place forever, permanently safe from the enemy of your soul? Permanently safe from all the afflictions of this life and the cares of this life. Forever safe from that within the walled city of the new Jerusalem. I read of a little girl who was spending her first night away from home with another girlfriend. And uh, during the night, her friend heard her crying. She's wondering why she is crying. And so the mother of the house went to the bedroom and, and, and very tenderly trying to console the little girl. She says, honey, what's, what's the matter? Are you homesick? She says, no, I'm here sick. <laughs> I'm here sick. And I think we can identify with that. Every once in a while, I get that here sickness. It's like, Forever I, I, I yearn to be delivered from the things of this life, from the cares of this life, from the woes of this world. One day it's going to happen. We sing the song, I'm homesick for heaven. I've got a, yearn, a yearning to go. And there is a desire, but that's to a place we've not yet seen. We can only imagine. But it's certainly appropriate in the midst of that to be singing and thinking along the lines that I'm rather hearsick. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I don't want to get so used to it here, so satisfied with it here, that I feel like it's my salvation, that it's, it's you know, it's, it's everything to me. No, it's not. Heaven is my home. And sometimes we just get rather hearsick, don't we? And we yearn for the day. The Christian often gets sick of living in a world where the threat of war is there. All of the chaos that we're going through in our nation right now, you get a little here sick, don't you? You get a little here sick, a little weary of it, wonder where it's going to end. Filled one of our buses yesterday, the little white one, 200 bucks later, had a full tank. You know what it's like, you're feeling it, you're feeling it. And while the costs just keep soaring, you wonder where it's ever going to end, I get here sick. Amen. The child of, of God gets here sick. We can rest assured that in heaven there's perfect protection. Amen. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Amen. And so the angels, they beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just get a little home, a little here sick. Amen. And sometimes a little homesick as we think about the glories of heaven. There was a preacher that said to a dying man, very poor man, he was a pauper. He's like, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you. And the, the poor guy, the pauper looked at him and said, don't feel sorry for me. I've got prospects that are out of this world. Amen. I've got prospects that are out of this world. Money and the riches of this life and all the things that we can rack up 
to our name and have at our disposal, they're nothing in comparison to the riches of that land that we anticipate going to by the grace of God. Amen. The prospects. The prospects are out of this world. That pauper must have been ready for heaven, don't you think? He must have been ready for heaven, ready to go. There's nothing like knowing for sure that your sins are covered by the blood of Jesus and that you are prepared for the life to come. Heaven is like a walled city, a walled city, a place we desire greatly, a place of perfect protection. Praise God. And finally, heaven is like a garden. We have to talk about garden, don't we? I mean, it's garden season, right? It's gardens. How many of you have a garden? Been digging in the soil? That's good therapy, isn't it? I, I've, not, I've not had to plant anything. I've got some family that do that, but I've sure dealt with some weeds already. And, uh, you know, a number of other things in preparation of the soil and, and the ground and all of that. But, wow, a garden. It is good therapy. And who knows how handy that food's going to come in later this summer. If God will bless us that we can see it grow. But heaven's like a beautiful garden. Descriptive in Revelation chapter 22 verses 1 to 5. We'll not take time to read through those scriptures. But John the Revelator paints an unforgettable picture of a garden where there's plenty of water. There's plenty of vegetation in the garden of heaven, everything we need is, is provided. Everything. Uh, heaven is not only like a tabernacle where we have perfect fellowship with God. Uh, you know, all, all is just absolute perfection and connection with God. And a, a city where we have perfect protection. It's also like a garden where we have perfect provision. Perfect provision. The drama of Revelation in the Bible revolves around three gardens. So I thought about this. I thought, wow, that is, that is so very true. Remember the first one? The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden God created with absolute perfection. Adam and Eve, everything just as perfect as it can be. But, but, but sin entered in. It was thought that God won't care, won't matter, won't matter that I've become wise like him. I can partake of this, that he has set his off limits. Everything else he's provided is not good enough. I've got to have that one thing he won't let me have. And you know the story. They were put out from the garden. The cherubim, the flaming sword, now banned from being able to be in that what we call Adamic perfection, Adam's perfection of the Garden of Eden. The next garden that I would point out to us is the Garden of Gethsemane. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to suffer? To bear your sins and mine. The sin that began with Adam and Eve carried on into your life and my life. But the Garden of Gethsemane appeared it's a special place. I'm privileged to be in the Holy Lands, and I think my most meaningful experience was being in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our leader gave us some time just to spend alone. 
go somewhere out under one of the olive trees, spend some time in that connection. That connection with Jesus during that time was so special. The Garden of Eden was spoiled, but the Garden of Gethsemane came and Jesus was willing to bear my sins and yours. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood as he interceded there in the Garden of Gethsemane for us. He did so, so that in heaven, the land that he's preparing for us, there will be no more sin, there will be no more allurements for sin. Forever away from that and delivered from that, all ungodliness. The garden of heaven is going to be glorious. The garden of Eden, the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of heaven. The garden of heaven. It's man's redemption. Redemption from this world it's, and it's made complete. When we get to the garden of heaven... Our redemption will be complete. Can you imagine? Hard to imagine. We'll be relieved of all the allurements of sin and all ungodliness in the garden of heaven. I anticipate being there by the grace of God. One of these days, none of us knows how soon it may be. We hear of abrupt departures, don't we? Wow. We hear of some real abrupt departures, just unspeakable, sudden losses that we have of friends and loved ones who's, they're gone just that quick. They were here and just that quick. We've got a, we've got a funeral to conduct and they're gone from us. But in the garden of heaven, there'll be no more of the sorrow, no more sin, No more darkness, no more ungodliness, you name it. What deliverance it's going to be. (laughs) Praise God. Then I would notice finally that, that heaven has pearly gates. Heaven has pearly gates. We read in verse 21 of chapter 21 in Revelation, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Heaven has pearly gates. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but how do we get there? How do we get to experience that? Only, only through Jesus. Amen. Only through Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad he went to the garden? He went to Golgotha. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's interceding there on our behalf today. He's offering to mankind, men, women, boys, girls, eternal life. Through the provision He's made for us, that's how we can anticipate heaven. That's how heaven can be a reality one of these days. John indicated that those who stand before before the throne in heaven. They, they stand there because their robes have been made white through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other provision for getting to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. We must have a robe that's been made white through his blood. Waving the palm branches before him. John the Revelator pictures the wall around heaven with Twelve tremendous gates, and each gate is one huge pearl. 
That's hard to comprehend. We just can't, we just can't imagine. They say that a pearl is formed when a, a piece of, of foreign matter, such as a grain of sand, gets in inside the shell of that oyster, and it begins to the, the oyster begins to secrete that milky substance, that liquid which forms a hard cover around the piece of sand. What's happening? Well, the oyster is suffering. It's a foreign object. It doesn't like it in there. It's forming that protection from that foreign object, from, from that one that has, has made entrance inside of its shell. And finally, the, the hard cover builds up around the piece of painful sand and it, it forces it out of its shell. Well, you know, you think about, you think about heaven you think about the entrance to heaven, it's pictured as pearly gates. The foreign substance called sin will be forever forced out. The, the, the imagery of that, the gates of pearl are saying loud and clear, no sin here. Not a bit of it is here. Jesus has suffered. Sin entered this world. Jesus endured the sin and the shame for you and for me so that it could be conquered once and for all. Hallelujah. He defeated sin. He defeated it. And he rose victorious over sin and death and hell. And he's gone to prepare a place for us that has gates of pearl that indicate I have redeemed you. I have purchased you with my blood. All of sin is forever banned from this place called heaven. Ah, friend, I yearn to be there. I yearn to be there. Whether you call it homesickness for heaven or here sickness for this world, we've got to make it to heaven and thank God we can. We can through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. That's our blessed hope. That's our blessed hope and we can know with assurance today that Jesus saves us from sin. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. Thank the Lord for His provision. Every born-again individual has that blessed hope of inheriting heaven. Inheriting heaven one of these days through the blood of Jesus. As long as we stay on the straight and narrow path, we're laying up treasures on the other side. We're investing in heaven. That's what we're doing today. We're investing heavily in things that are eternal. That's why we give so graciously and freely and regularly to the cause of Christ. We're investing in heaven. We want our church to go forward. We want souls to be saved. We want more people to know the joy of forgiveness. Forgiveness, a right relationship with God. 
so that they too can enjoy the glories of heaven. We're in a heaven-going business. We're in a heaven-going business. No wonder. And we've only scratched the surface. We've only scratched the surface of what awaits us. It's our purpose to make it to heaven. It's our purpose for you that you make it to heaven as well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, heaven will be great. Heaven will be a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And I trust you're ready this morning. You're ready for heaven. Praise his name. I'd like us to stand together. Let's take our chorus book. We're going to sing a song about about being on our way to heaven. But if you're not sure of that, this altar is open. This altar is available. Let's turn to 168 in the chorus book. Number 168 in the chorus book. As we sing this song together, I don't know if I can remember the exact tune of the verses, but I've got the chorus anyhow. We'll, we'll work our way through it. This is a good song. And if you, if you don't know with assurance today that you're on your way, why don't you make your way to an altar of prayer where a number of us would be happy to help you be able to make that calling and election sure even today, before we leave this sanctuary, 168. under the sound of our voice could testify to this reality today. No doubt, however, among us, even here this morning, is someone who has a big question mark, a big question mark in their life. They can't sing it with assurance. 
They have plenty of here sickness, plenty of struggles with what's going on in this world, but they don't have the reality, something deep within of the peace of God that makes them homesick for the land of no more sin, no more sorrow, and all to be absolute perfection in the presence of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you'll help each of us to recognize perhaps with a greater a greater strength than ever before how important it is that we prepare for that day whenever our time comes to leave this world so that we can have that blessed hope of being dressed in a white robe and waving palms of praise and hosanna to our King forever and forever. Lord, we thank you for the hope that it is for every child of God. And we yearn for that one today who doesn't know you, the reality of your forgiveness and your abiding presence, that ere long they'll know, they'll know exactly what we're talking about today and experiencing it for themselves. Speak to that heart. Show them the way. Help them to see that the devil is out to keep throwing stumbling blocks and doubts and confusion. And help them to resist the devil and draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to them and give them the victory through Jesus Christ. Dismiss us with your blessing. Watch over us throughout the day and in the coming week. And we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.